Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, open up to Galatians as we continue our series. And let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, our prayer is that your name would be lifted up this morning in our hearts, that your name would be lifted up in our church, that your name would be lifted up in our families, in our community, God, that people would see the love of Jesus glorified through your body. God, your kingdom come. Lord, we do think about what it would be like to be in the kingdom of God, to come face to face with Jesus. And we can only imagine what it would be like, but Lord, we long for it. And Lord, we pray that even as we muddle through life, that your kingdom principles, your kingdom promises, your kingdom ways would become true in our life. God, we pray your will would be done. In the midst of all the things that are going on, Lord, we pray for your will in our hearts and our minds. Our hope as a church is to love God, love people, make disciples. God, we know that that's all part of your will. We pray that you would work it in and through us. God, we pray that you would provide for us. Um, God, we pray that you provide for families. We think of those that are still out of work or underemployed, that are struggling through this pandemic. We pray for provisions. Lord, we look at our own church and, and maybe the, the money isn't exactly what we would like it to be, the giving, and, and it's hard to grow during this time. So God, we pray that you would provide. God, we pray your forgiveness for our sins where we have fallen short of doing what you've called us to do, where we have rebelled against you. We pray for pardon. And Lord, in the midst of all this that's going on, we pray that your hand would be upon us and that you would protect us. God, open up our hearts and minds so what you have to say to us in the word of God today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we're in the book of Galatians and uh, we've been uh, start, started this new series just last week. And as we're kind of just digging into this, uh, we said last week that the, the first two chapters uh, Paul is laying out a reminder of the gospel and to stay on track with the gospel. In chapters 3 and 4, um, this gospel that, uh, uh, that he received creates a multi-ethnic family. He's going to be, be making a big case for that. And that multi-ethnic family, in the last few verse, uh, chapters he's going to talk about, is transformed by the Spirit. So the overall theme of the book of Galatians, the gospel creates a multi-ethnic family that is transformed by the Spirit. Um, as I was preparing to preach this, um, I was kind of thinking of breaking this section that we're looking at today into two different sermons. And just, just kind of some things that I teach my students at Corbin um, when we're trying to interpret Scripture, it's important to know what type of Scripture is. This is discourse. And what type, what genre it is, this is an epistle. This is a letter that Paul wrote to a region uh, in Galatia, several different churches. And 
we have different kinds within these letters. We have introductions and closures and we have prayers and we have all different kinds. In this section from chapter one, verse 11, all the way through chapter two, verse 14 is all testimony. Paul is this big, huge section of just testimony. So I've decided that we're just gonna tackle it all in one. It's kind of a big passage, but we're just gonna tackle it all here this morning. And we might ask the question, why so, such a long testimony? Probably longer than in any other kind of section, at least the short epistles. Paul is arguing, remember, this, this gospel that he shared with the churches in Galatia. He leaves, somebody else comes in, starts kind of changing the gospels, adding to it. So Paul is establishing his authority to be the one that says, no, this is the way the gospel is. That's part of the testimony. He also is reminding the reader, and he's reminding you and I, the depth of the problem that this is creating in the church. This isn't something that you're just facing in Galatia. They had this trouble in Jerusalem. Everywhere the gospel goes, this is becoming a problem. But also it's challenging us to examine our own path to Christ, our own testimony. So I want you to keep those things in mind as we look through this. I'm gonna read this long passage. And then, um, which by the way, the Bible tells us we are to be reading the word of God. We're supposed to be listening to the word of God. So this is, we're obeying scripture by doing this. And then we're gonna look at how the gospel was received through revelation, affirmed by the church and defended by Paul. Galatians chapter one, verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, here's how he's launching into this testimony, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus, the Messiah. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. Here's his testimony of his past. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brothers. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in the Messiah. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me. Then after 14 years, long testimony here, right? We're like, we're 15 years into this. I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. And I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, I set before them the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, 
was not forced to become circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ, uh, the Messiah Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they are makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted the gospel to the circumcised, for he had worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who by the way wrote most of the New Testament, who seemed to be pillars perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and to me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted uh, hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Big passage, a lot going on, all testimony, Paul's testimony. And he starts this with, I would have you know, here's what he he wants you to know. The gospel was received through revelation. The gospel was received through revelation. And so he starts with his own calling. And Paul looks back at his conversion, how he came to Christ. And in telling his testimony, sometimes when you share your testimony, you might emphasize another part. Nothing wrong with that. God has been working in your your life in more than one ways. And what he's trying to emphasize to them in verse 11 is that Paul didn't get the gospel from man. He got it directly from Jesus. Therefore, others, verse 7 and chapter 2, verse 4, those who have secretly slipped in, cannot say we also got the gospel from the apostles. Paul said, I didn't get it from man. I got it from Jesus. Paul is an apostle, and he's confirming that. He saw Jesus. Paul is not focused on the approval of man, he said in chapter 1, verse 10. And then God's proclamation He said, I received it through revelation. And he goes on and talks about his past. How he was, and I love this, in verse uh, uh, 14, I was extremely zealous for the traditions. Just hit that word here for a minute. Sometimes when we hear the word traditions, we think about that word positively. For instance, if I said, what are some of your Christmas traditions? Oh. Well, this is what our family likes to do. 
But sometimes when we use the word traditions, we're talking about those things that we are set in and, and we got our feet set in so tightly that we can't move from. And that's what Paul is kind of referring to here. And then he talks about God's good pleasure. Look at, look at verses 15 and 16. He says, but when he, God, who had set me apart before I was born. Jesus, you, you can hear other parts of Paul's gospels in here. And he who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. And God's pleasure. When Paul looks at God's pleasure on his life, he says, God was pleased to reveal his son to me. Think of your own testimony for a second. When was God's pleasure upon you so much so that he revealed his son to you? I just, I love Paul's language there. And then Paul talks about his own path, that is, his journey in understanding the gospel. So first, we have Paul's conversion. Now, after his conversion, right, Paul, Paul was already a religious leader. He was well-versed in the Old Testament. And he comes face-to-face with Jesus, and he has this moment of, I have studied God's word all my life and missed it. And so what Paul does is he takes a little gospel retreat and he starts restudying the scripture with Jesus in mind, which by the way is what you and I should do when we read the Old Testament. And so here we have his training. And we can look at this as Paul is looking back at his gospel coaching. And as he shares his gospel coaching, He talks about his personal study, how he got away and and read through the Old Testament again. He talks about some ministry experience. He he refers to Antioch, the first church. He was involved in that. He also talks about sitting down with Cephas. I I sat down with Peter. And so in your own gospel growth, can you identify times when you were studying God's word, looking at it, trying to understand the gospel? Can Can you... Think of how ministry impacted your need to understand the gospel. Can you think of those times when you sat down with other people and were discipled? So what's happening in this section here is Peter is telling us all this, you know, these, it's a nice trip through memory, memory lane, but he's doing it because people are saying, you've got to add to the gospel. And Paul is refuting claims that the gospel was something he made up on his own initiative. Paul is is saying, look, I received this, and this is what I did when I received it. I went off and looked at it. I studied it. And what we see Paul spending a lot of time on reflection and contemplation. One commentator said, we focus too much on activity and accomplishment and not enough on just being with Jesus. Paul's refuting the claims that the gospel came from other people. And Paul is showing that his gospel checked out. And so we move on to chapter two. And what we see is that the gospel was affirmed by the church. Specifically, Paul had a time where he went and said, okay, Peter, John, church, can we confirm, here's the gospel I've been preaching. Now, 
Paul is, is not having a moment of doubt here. Um, he says, notice he says, then after 14 years. Paul isn't 14 years into this and coming back to the, the apostles and say, hey, do I have the gospel right? It's something deeper than that. So many scholars would put the order of events as follows. Paul has this vision of Christ. He is converted. He goes off and studies scripture for a while. He comes back to Antioch. First missionary journey, return to Antioch. Judaizers hear the conversions. They go back through Paul's churches. They malign the gospel. Peter had a vision and the church in Antioch sends Paul to Jerusalem for a meeting with the apostles. This meeting in chapter two could very much be, I would guess, Acts chapter 15. This is the meeting with, with the apostles there. And notice he says, and let's just wrestle with this for a minute. In verse two, I went up because of a revelation set before them, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had run in vain. I don't think anything is threatening Paul's certainty of the gospel. Remember back in last week's sermon, he said, if anybody brings you a gospel other than the one that I brought to you, let him be accursed. Nothing is threatening Paul's certainty of the gospel, but people are threatening the fruitfulness of the gospel. And what I would say is this, Paul recognizes that the early church is about to split between those who say it's the gospel plus all the Jewish traditions and those who say it's the gospel plus nothing. And Paul is fighting hard for the church not to split over this issue. And so Paul's fear in those first few verses, in the ESV it says, uh, for, uh, that, what did he say? To, to make sure. I believe it's the New American Standard that says, but I, I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running in vain. In other words, am I, am I going somewhere where you're not going to go, Peter? Because if so, this church is going to split. Paul went in response to a revelation. Paul waited 14 years to have this conversation. Paul had already said, if anyone else preach another gospel, Paul recognizes it's the gospel plus nothing equals everything. And what's at stake here is church unity. And we're reminded what, what, what Paul is saying is it's the gospel for all people of all cultures. The gospel creates a multi-ethnic family that is transformed by the spirit. Don't make it anything else. Look, the church today, listen, it's not an American church. It is the church. And you go to other countries, and they say, oh, you're a Christian because you live in America. No, it's the gospel plus nothing. It's the gospel that unites us in Jesus Christ. We are called to defend the gospel over our culture, over our preferences. We're called to defend the gospel. And so we see here that there's confirmation. And Paul just walks us through this. He goes, look, 
The church welcomed Titus. He was a Greek. They didn't ask him to get circumcised. Peter didn't say, hey, Titus can't come in here until he gets circumcised. That's what he's saying. Verse three. And then he talks about how this early debate weathered a storm. People had come in to, to spy out our freedoms and, and they weathered that storm. And let me just say, if your belief is that salvation is dependent on being, obeying the rules as the early Judaizers did, then you want your rules to be very specific. And you say, why, why the big deal about circumcision? Well, was this historical covenant, but if you're going to be in a, a law-obeying church that is saved by obeying the laws, then your laws need to be very specific. And so they're saying, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? The gospel leads to cultural freedom. He says they were spying out our freedom. The gospel leads to emotional freedom. The whole story of scripture is around this idea of shame that we are freed from. To have a list of rules, what does that do? It brings back shame again. And so the church entrusted Paul with the mission. And the church in verse six, six through eight, the church extended the right hand of fellowship, which by the way, does not mean that they had a donut time. Okay. It was a cultural thing. And, and it would just help you, especially as Baptists, it would just help you is every time you saw the word fellowship, you read partnership. Okay, because that's a better meaning. And so what they did is they made a joint friendship of partnership in the gospel. Just read this morning of a church that uh, on their website, they had a, a section there that basically said, you know what? Not every church is for you. This church may not be for you. And if this church isn't for you, here are some other churches in our area that might be helpful to you. And they didn't just pick all the very like churches, just exactly like them. They picked all the gospel churches. Even if they were a different denomination, different worship style, some different other doctrines, they said, they're gospel church, go there. Why? Because we're in partnership. The gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the right hand of fellowship. Now, don't miss verse 10. I don't have enough time to go deep on this. This isn't a requirement of the gospel. This is in response to the gospel. Only they asked us to remember the poor. The very thing I was eager to do. Now listen, they're in Jerusalem. And Paul is out all through the Roman world. And the people at this point in time who were suffering the most poverty were Jewish Christians, especially those in Jerusalem. And so he is saying, Paul, as you go out there and spread the gospel among those rich Gentiles, they need to remember their poor roots back here in Jerusalem, which is Paul, as you see in 2 Corinthians, Paul is getting a, a group to take money back to Jerusalem. 
the, the Galatians and the Ephesians and these churches that Paul established, these Gentile churches, sent money back to their Jewish brothers and sisters. They asked them to remember the poor. Now, probably one of the more difficult parts of this passage is that we just read that Paul and Peter got in a fight. Did you catch that? The gospel was defended by Paul. And what we see here is that Paul lived out his convictions. So let's talk about Peter's mistake. And I would say ours as well, if we're honest. And the first part of Peter's mistake is that that Peter forgot the lessons he already learned. Now, if you remember Paul's testimony in Acts chapter 10, he is uh, sitting up on a rooftop and uh, he's hungry and uh, he falls into a trance and he has a vision where God is lowering all this food down to him, food from heaven that's all food that Jewish people can't eat, okay? Now, we could list it all, but let's just say there's this BLT came down from heaven, Okay? And Paul and Peter says, oh, I'm not going to eat that. That stuff has never touched my lips. God says, don't call anything unclean. And he does this three times. Peter's starting to crave bacon a little bit. He's never felt that before. But then somebody comes up and says, hey, there's this Gentile family that needs to hear from you. And so he goes and he goes to that family, he shares the gospel, they get saved. And Paul, uh, Peter spends time with them, he eats with them. He, the Holy Spirit descends upon them. All these things, Peter, Peter has done, he's done all that. He's made those changes. But he keeps slipping back into his old way of life where you don't eat with Gentiles. You don't eat bacon. And so what happened is he was hanging out with the Gentiles. They're having a big BLT feed. And some Jews showed up and Peter's like, oh man. And he, and he leaves and he goes, hangs out with the Jewish people. It's like, I don't, I don't do that stuff. Now, I want to give Peter a little bit of a break. I grew up in a conservative Baptist home, at least in part with my grandparents. And uh, I went to a Christian school from the fourth grade through high school. And there was one thing in those days that Christian high schools didn't do. And some of you know what it is. We did not dance. Dancing was wrong. Now, growing up, I didn't really know why dancing was wrong. I just knew it was really wrong because we weren't allowed to do it. Nobody would tell us not to do something unless it was really wrong. The Bible must say, thou shalt not dance. So I just assumed your hips move too much Lightning coming down. Now, as I got older, I found out that the Bible does not actually say thou shalt not dance. That this was a tradition. This was a way of protecting us from premarital sex. And uh, my views about dancing here changed. But when you grow up not dancing, Not only could I not dance as an adult, if I started dancing, 
I would be overcome with guilt. I felt like I was doing something wrong because it was ingrained in me. You see, Peter comes to a point, he's like, yay, I can eat BLTs with the Gentiles. But then when he's doing it and his Jewish friends see him, he's overcome with guilt and shame for doing something that's okay. Now, when Ginny and I were dating, and Ginny's not a big dancer either, but she's, there's a group of people that were gonna go dancing. And I'm like, ah, yeah, I don't wanna do that. I said, ah, I, don't, I can't dance. Oh, we'll just go, we'll, just, we'll have some fun, don't worry about it. But there was, it's not that I just can't dance, it's that not just I feel awkward, I feel this, I couldn't explain it. I was trying to explain to this girl that didn't, didn't grow up with that issue at all. And so when I went to pick her up, you know, I lost the debate, right? As, as I learned early on. So we were going to this dance place. And when I showed up, Janine and the other gal that was going, they had dressed up in kind of this punk outfit. They had fake cigarettes. They had their hair all spiked up. And I was like, this is exactly what I feared. Now this picture actually is also... Uh, she did the same thing to her parents uh, when her and her best friend uh, went to Europe after college. They, uh, they showed up at the airport dressed like this for their parents to pick them up. Their parents walked right by them, didn't even recognize them. Right? So we have this point right, where this, these traditions get so ingrained in us that we can't change. I, I remember being in a church one time and, and one of the guys was, Pastor, we need, a, we need a prayer meeting. We need a prayer meeting. We need a prayer meeting. And I was reading this book on prayer, and I'm like, you know what? We do need a prayer meeting. And so I started having this prayer meeting at this church, and he didn't show up. I mean, the guy was so far, I said, I said, we're having a prayer meeting. Why aren't you coming? And he said, oh, because the prayer meeting's on Sunday night. Prayer meetings are on Wednesday night. What verse is that? People, you know it. That's a true... Come on, you're telling me that God wants all prayer meetings on Wednesday night? Thus saith the Lord? We, we get so stuck in our traditions. Music. Oh, now you're getting personal. Pews. If you walk into any CB church, Conservative Baptist Church, it was built in the 60s, 70s, or 80s. You know what it looks like? This church. We just keep doing the same things over and over again. Thus saith the Lord. Peter forgot what he'd already learned. Peter feared man. He says he did it because he feared those from the circumcision party. He feared what they were going to say. And really what Peter was doing, let's be honest, and you can hear it in Paul's language. He's setting this up. He says, Peter showed favoritism. Paul's like, I went to the influential group as if there is an influential group. I went to those who were important as if there's anybody important. God doesn't show favoritism. And what's Peter doing? He's showing favoritism. And what Peter did is what we all do is we default to what's familiar. He defaulted to familiarity, which is racial pride or tribal lines. 
however you want to call it, this, this, is, this is what's familiar to me, therefore it is right. Here's Paul's response, and probably what ours should be. First of all, um, it was direct. He says, and I, I, I don't know that I have a textual conviction here, but he says, I opposed him to his face. So I don't know whether Peter called him out in the group or privately. Either way, it was direct. Second, it was necessary. Paul says he stood condemned. He says the rest of the Jews were following, even Barnabas. He, he was causing a division. Now listen, it was also loving. Now, how can you say it was loving? I don't like getting yelled at. I don't like getting called out. If he did it in front of everyone, that certainly wasn't loving. It was necessary because Peter was wrong. And when somebody is wrong, as it relates to the gospel by which we are saved and you don't call them out, there is nothing to call that but unloving and uncaring. Paul did it because he cared. Not just about Peter, but listen, because he cared about the church. He cared enough about the church to say, that is not the picture of the church, Peter, that we want. That is not a gospel church. And so his calling out was gospel-centered. It's interesting here, um, in the ESV, it says Peter's conduct was not in step with, in verse 14. The NIV says, in line with the truth. The New American Standard is not straightforward about the truth. The Greek, it's kind of ortho-walking. Now think about going to an orthodontist. What does an orthodontist do? Straightens your teeth. And so what he is saying to Peter is you are not straight-walking. The gospel is a set of truths. It's not just a set of truths back here where we say, I got saved, that was in the past. It's the gospel truths are in radical opposition to the beliefs of this world. And in that, the gospel is in contrast. It's reshaping our lives around Christ. Braces are just this, I never got them. They were out of my grandparents' price range. And because of that today, some of you have experienced this. When I eat with you, my jaw pops because my, my jaw is out of alignment. And people say, that's annoying, stop it. And I can't. And so when things get out of alignment, they don't work correctly. And what the gospel does constantly, it's in this process of realigning us the way we are supposed to be. And one of the things that we learn in this, it's so important, is that right doctrine plus wrong culture or anti-gospel culture. Peter had the right doctrine, but he did not practice it correctly. Up here, Peter knew what the gospel was. 
When it came to BLTs, he only eat them in certain conditions, only around Gentiles. And so right doctrine plus wrong culture equals doctrinal denial. And what I mean by that is when other people say, man, the Baptist church on the corner of 2nd and Lincoln says that you are saved by grace alone, amen? Through faith alone, amen? And then people come in with broken lives. And we in any way insinuate that they are not Christians because of sin. Don't get me wrong, they need to repent. They have their lives cleaned up. But if we say, you can't come in until you do this, this, and this. By the way, prayer meetings on Wednesday night, Wednesday night only, so saith the Lord. Then we're not pressing gospel culture. The church is going to be filled with broken people because we're all broken. So here's some application and action. We had four things in here, and I, I think as part of Paul's testimony that we need to be reminded of. And that's simply this. Can you identify your conversion and retell the story? Can you, can you recognize that point where you came face-to-face with Jesus? repented of your sins, and followed him. Second, can you mark the journey of your gospel coaching? Now, here's something that I've had to face many, many times. Somebody dies. And I didn't know them. Usually happens when they're the child of somebody that was in the church, adult child. And never have they come to church since I had been here. They've seen nothing. But their parent comes and says, well, when they were eight years old, in Awana, they became a Christian. So I know they're saved. Now, they did drugs, and they lived a really terrible life. But at least we know that they're saved. When has the gospel grown up in them? Where do we see the fruit of the Spirit? Where do we see people going, wow, the gospel is changing that person? Where do we have, as Paul had, a point of the gospel being confirmed? Not just by baptism, but are you growing in the gospel? And so I would ask you, can you mark the journey of your gospel coaching? Can you recall a time when your faith was confirmed by the church where other people saw the fruit of the Spirit in you? And how are you living out your gospel convictions today? Now, if your gospel convictions simply consist of the type of music, the programs of the church, and the look of the church, if those are your gospel convictions then I want to remind you, those are just your convictions. And I'm going to say it, I don't really care about your convictions any more than you care about my convictions. Now, if we want to talk about the gospel, I care about that. Because that is what this church needs to be known for. The gospel plus nothing, equals everything. And it will change your life 
and our community when it's lived out correctly. Let's pray. Father God, um, your word is um, not always easy. It's not always gentle. But God, we thank you that you love us enough to correct us. We thank you that you love us enough to painfully realign us back to the gospel. So we pray that where we have gotten off, that you would direct us correctly back in the right path. And we pray, Lord, where we have been hard on others because of our traditions, that we would be softened by your love in the gospel. And God, my prayer is that Hillsborough First Baptist Church on the corner of 2nd and Lincoln would be known as a gospel community. One where people's lives are changed for the glory of God. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.